2: Later in this book, chapter 10, there's some critics who come to him and say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He has been telling them plainly. They just wouldn't listen to him.
1: Pastor Leighton Sheely is back with another study in the book of John on this edition of Study Verse by Verse and Outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Their website for details about the church is churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And for this ministry, go to studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. Grab your Bible and be prepared to follow along as uh, Pastor Sheely gives us a bit of an overview of uh, a book he's been in for the past several weeks.
2: Can invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Uh, we find the first eighteen verses of the Gospel are called the prologue. In it, the author, the author is the Apostle John, and I might point out that any time you see the name John in the Gospel of John, it's not a reference to the author; it's rather a reference to John the Baptist but the book was actually written by John the Apostle, that uh, John introduces the themes that he's going to be expounding upon in the chapters that follow. And then we're introduced to the ministry of John, that is, John the Baptist, the first prophet of God in 400 years. He turns, points to Jesus, and says, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then appoints His first six disciples, performs His first miracle of turning water into wine. He then goes into Jerusalem and clears the temple of religious con men who were taking advantage of pilgrims who had come to worship God. And then we have a chance to listen to the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in chapter 3 in which Jesus describes That entrance into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the names are used interchangeably in the New Testament, is not based on any efforts of your own, but rather on the transformational work of God that's so incredibly uh, radical that it can only be described in terms of being born again or starting all over again, starting new. It's also the first mention of eternal life as well. And in that, Jesus tells us, for God so loved the world. And this was a a pretty radical thought for the Jewish people because the Jewish people knew that God's Savior, God's Messiah, was going to come through the Jewish people. They thought that the Messiah was for the Jewish people. And what God had intended was the Messiah to come through the Jewish people, but be for the entire world, for God so loved the world. And so that was radical thought for them. That's illustrated in chapter 4 with the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in which Jesus declares very clearly that he is the Messiah. That's expounded upon also by the healing of the official son, that official was probably a Gentile. And that was the pattern that was given to us in the book of Acts, that the gospel would come first to the Jew, then to the Samaritan, then to the othermost parts of the earth. And then in chapter 5, there's a change in the tenor because that's when resistance against Jesus begins. And it begins when Jesus comes and performs a miracle on the Sabbath. He heals the man. And the religious leaders are not excited that there's a healing that takes place, but rather that Jesus had the audacity to do the healing on the Sabbath. And that broke one of their little rules. And and it wasn't a God-given rule. It was a man-made rule, but they couldn't differentiate the two because they created all the rules and exceptions to the rules so they could feel like they were holy and acceptable before God. And what Jesus said is, that doesn't work. Now, when Jesus uh, responded to their confrontation, he didn't argue about the validity of their little rules and regulations. Instead, he did something far more uh, powerful. He claimed to be equal with God. And he identified four witnesses to prove his claims. Uh, The witness of John the Baptist the witness of His works, His miracles, the witness of the endorsement of the Father, and also the endorsement of the Scriptures of Moses as well. The New Testament offers us many, many lines of evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, and among those are His many miracles. In fact, the Lord Himself made this claim. He said, the works which the father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do testify about me that the father sent me. Later in this book, chapter 10, there's some critics who come to him and say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He has been telling them plainly. They just wouldn't listen to him. And uh, Jesus answered, I told you, you don't believe me. The works that I do in my father's name, these testify of me. You're not going to listen to what I have to say. At least watch what I do because what I do testifies that I am indeed from God. Now, that was true also in verse 30 of this same chapter, because after Jesus feeds the 5,000, in just verse 30, they say, show us a sign to prove that you are who you claim to be. That's just common. But there was those you know, that, that made the connection, like Nicodemus. He said, Rabbi, we know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is the fourth sign that's recorded in the Gospel of John to prove that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and the Son of God. And it's the only miracle that is apart from Christ's resurrection recorded by John that also appears in other Gospels, in fact, in all of the other Gospels. And that emphasizes the importance of this particular event. You remember that the other Gospels were written just a few years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but this Gospel, the Gospel of John, was written near the end of the first century. It was written by John the Apostle, who was the, one of the youngest. He was the youngest disciple of Jesus, and he was the only one who grew into old age. And it was when he was an old man that he penned the words to this Gospel. And this Gospel was intended to provide us supplementary information that wasn't contained in the other Gospels. And so a lot of what we read in the Gospel of John is new, but that's not true of this particular event. This particular event is recorded also in the other Gospels. Probably John chose this particular event to include because of all of the miracles that Jesus did, this was the largest in terms of the number of people that were affected. It was over 5,000. That was even more than the 4,000 that he fed uh, later. And uh, it also provides a setting for the teaching that Jesus is going to do later in this chapter, which we're not going to have time to get to uh, today. Now, there's three principal ways of, of looking at this story. Uh, some of the skeptics look at the story and they say, Well, Jesus preached such a profound and moving uh, sermon that everybody pulled out their lunches that they'd hidden away and shared it, and that's how everybody got fed. And that's how the skeptics explain this. It doesn't fit the facts that we're given but that's how skeptics are. They'll make stuff up in order to explain away what is obvious. Uh, there's another view that they didn't actually eat a real meal, that it was more like a sacramental a sacramental meal like we just had with communion. We had that little wafer bread and we had that little cup of grape juice. I can remember hearing the little guy uh, was not really excited about the Lord's Supper because he, he, he wanted a full meal and he was very disappointed at what we served. And uh, so some people say, well, that's really what they got served that day. It's just a little sacramental meal. But that doesn't fit the facts either because everybody ate until they were full. So the third way of looking at it is it actually happened according to the way Scripture's recorded and that Jesus Christ took a little guy's lunch and multiplied it so that everybody there was well fed. And it's, there's only other way to look at it is that it was a miracle. Now, the um eating and drinking... Uh, satisfaction in food is a theme that is found in the Old Testament. Remember that most of his audience that day were Jewish people. They were familiar with the Old Testament. It was a figure, for instance, of prosperity. Ecclesiastes 8 says, Nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. In other words, be satisfied to have plenty. It's oftentimes used to describe the blessings that the people would enjoy. In God's promised land, it was a metaphor of spiritual blessing uh, Isaiah chapter one says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. And, uh, verse, and then chapter 55, he says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good. The psalmist in chapter 22 looked forward to the day when the poor will eat and be satisfied. It was the day of the messianic kingdom, the age to come. So eating plentifully was associated with the Messiah. And when the psalmist was talking about the poor, we in America, we might think we're poor. But the poorest in America are rich compared to everybody else in the world. I mean, we usually get something to eat throughout the course of the day. That's not true of the poor around the world. They're very fortunate if they get anything in the course of the day. And one of the things that the Scriptures talk about is the Messianic Kingdom, the age to come. We would call it heaven. And um, and in that time, there's not going to be a matter of shortage of food. Everybody is going to have uh, plenty. So then, this sign... Uh, shows Jesus to be the supplier of people's needs. Now, in verse 4, it talks about the Passover. And uh, the Passover was a, a time of celebrating. Every year, the uh, people of Israel would come together at the Passover to celebrate that God had miraculously taken them out of the land of slavery and death, Egypt, and taken them through the wilderness experience and brought them into the promised land. And that was all associated with the Passover celebration that the people were on their way uh, to and join in. And um, as the people were coming across the wilderness, there was two to three million of them, the wilderness was not able to support them. And so what God did is miraculously provide the people with manna from heaven so that they would be well fed. And so what this is uh, for the people on their way to Passover, Jesus provided them a mini wilderness experience where there was a large group of people, there was not food to uh, provide for them, but God miraculously provided for their need. Jesus is God. Jesus miraculously provided for their need. And that then gives us understanding when we get to the part later in the chapter where Jesus talks about living bread in verse 51, the true bread from heaven in verse 32, and the bread of God in verse 33. What manna was in the wilderness foreshadowed what is found in its... A perfect provision in Jesus Christ. Let's begin with chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Why were they following him? Because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now, the phrase that is translated after these things or after this, metatuta does not necessarily mean that the events in chapter 6 immediately followed the events in chapter 5. There was a time lapse, if you will, in John's record uh, between the things that happened in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. Remember that John chapter 5 talks about a feast, but it doesn't identify which feast. And so if it was the Feast of Tabernacles, then it would have been about six months between what happened in chapter 5 and what happened in chapter 6. If it was another Passover, then it would have been a year between what happened in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Some of you might say, well, what happened in that year? Well, those events are recorded for us in the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They recorded in Matthew's chapter 5 through 14, Mark chapter 3 through 6, and Luke chapter 6 through 9. It was during that period that Jesus continued to do ministry, which is why this large crowd was following Jesus. People had heard about him. Well,
1: we'll have to pick up there on Monday. I know we took a lot of time going uh, over a, a review of what we've covered in John so far, and if you've missed any of those broadcasts, On Study Verse by Verse, just go to the website, studyversebyverse.com, so you can listen again to them. That's studyversebyverse.com. You'll also find an opportunity there to support the ministry. And for further information about the church, Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, go to churchofthehighlands.org. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend, and join us again on Monday, if you can, when we'll open the Word of God and study